0: Mike is hot and the game is on. You're listening to News for the Nation podcast by Aces Nation, where we talk about
1: nutrition,
0: sports performance,
1: the journey of a student athlete, and more. I'm Claire.
0: I'm Zach. Time, Time to, to level up. up. Welcome back, sports fans. Today we are talking about Reds again. Hey. Right. That's because there's been an updated consensus statement by the International Olympic Committee. Uh, regarding this topic, so we have an expert here to talk about it. Woohoo! Yeah. So, Claire, give us the. Uh, I know we talked about this once before in an earlier podcast, but you know, mm-hmm. kind of give us the brief rundown about about Reds again. Um, just kind of fill us in or you know, bring us up to speed because it's been a few podcasts since then. And then, yeah, let's jump right into it.
1: Yeah. So I know we did a whole podcast episode about energy balance. So we had mentioned reds, red S, um, which is relative energy deficiency in sport. Um, We talked a lot about low energy availability and how that occurs and what has to happen from an energy availability perspective for, for it to be low or considered low. Um, So relative energy deficiency in sport is basically a syndrome that impairs physiological and or psychological functions in athletes, both male or female um, that are that's basically caused by exposure to low energy availability. So essentially, the energy you're taking in through food is not matching or is much lower than that, that you're expending through exercise. So you're not replenishing what you're excreting. Um, And typically, I think the cutoff, we may have mentioned it this in the last um, podcast on this, but typically that kind of threshold for where we see a lot of these really poor physiological and psychological markers of reds is at 30 um, grams or 30 calories per kilogram, Um, so essentially you're taking that athlete's body weight in kilograms, you multiply that by 30 and whatever you get, that's how many calories they might be eating in a day. But that's the threshold of usually where we start to see a lot of these negative side effects. Um, so essentially this consensus statement gave some, a a decent amount of new, information. It updated some graphics and and it updated um, some diagnoses and risk assessment um questionnaires. So essentially I just wanted to bring to light some of those things because I think it's important. Obviously we were talking about this before we started, but there's Redis is so nuanced and there's so many factors that play into a diagnosis. And a lot of times that's why maybe athletes suffering from it go undiagnosed for so long that there's so much more research that needs to be done. Um, not, not only in just regular athletes, um, and female athletes, but also in male athletes in para athletes. And all of that was mentioned in the consensus consensus statement as well. And then obviously there's not a lot of research in, um, adolescent or youth athletes either just from a, you know, um, What is the word I'm looking for? Liability, Ethics (laughs) from an ethics standpoint. Um, So I just want to go through some of the things that they mentioned that have been updated in this statement. And then we can kind of go through um, some of those risk assessment and the validation scores and tools so that um, coaches and parents and athletes can kind of have a grasp on how to potentially use those. so, they mentioned there were numerous scientific advancements from the 2015 and the 2018 consensus statements. So, I'm just going to read basically what they say and kind of summarize it at the end. So, they say the first advancement is understanding the evolution of various signs and symptoms of REDS. So, they've kind of come to the conclusion that there are more signs and symptoms than maybe were originally thought. Um, Like I said, it's very nuanced. So some of these cases go undetected, maybe because they weren't presenting with the typical symptoms. Um, So there's been uh, uh, an expansion of signs and symptoms. Um, The second is the development of the physiological model showing nuanced complexity of how low energy availability exposure, whether it's problematic or adaptable, which all talk about in a second, um, with associated moderating factors leads to changes in health and performance outcomes in individual athletes, which essentially is just saying that they developed this new model, which I'll talk about to show the complexity of low energy availability exposure. And then it's more on like a continuum versus this leads to this. Um, the third, and then the third one is understanding outcomes of problematic low energy exposure, low energy availability exposure causing REDs on athletes' mental health and in males has been further refined. So there was more research mentioned about how REDs and mental health are intricately connected and how REDs is also a significant problem in male athletes as well which um, I believe I mentioned this on the other podcast episode as well, that reds kind of formed from the female athlete triad when researchers and practitioners noticed that low energy availability wasn't just affecting female athletes and it wasn't just causing low bone mineral density and irregular menstrual cycles. There was a whole plethora of other issues that it was causing. Um, So that's kind of the the scientific advancements. And then there there was a summary of practical clinical guidelines of how to assess low energy availability and then recommendations for body composition testing. They also introduced, like I mentioned, the updated and validated IOC REDS-CAT-2 to help diagnose and figure out the severity and risk of REDS and um i think that was it so quite a lot that sounds like quite a lot but um i think in reality it wasn't it wasn't a ton um that they updated um but there were definitely some practical uh applications i think as a clinician that that i can use to assess athletes
0: all right claire so you've worked in the collegiate space mm-hmm. um you've worked in the private sector right um, you've worked with you know, people from all different ages um, as far as being athletes and stuff. Um, what's the most common reason you think for someone to have low energy availability? And please don't say that they're just not eating enough, but like why Why would they yeah. have an issue with, with getting calories?
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously low energy availability comes from not eating enough, but I think the the main reason why athletes aren't eating enough, I think there's two reasons. I think the first one is that they're, is a lack of availability to credible information and sources. And I think that there is also just a lack of understanding of how much athletes need to be eating for the work that they are doing and to sort just be a human being, you know, and and how much other parts of their life um, or other factors like, just living and surviving, um, how much energy that requires on top of the physical activity that they're doing. So most of it boils down to lack of knowledge or lack of education.
0: Yeah. Um, and, and I agree. Cause I mean, I, I'm obviously seeing this in the the collegiate space right now as well, where it's like, I don't think any, I don't think they understand how much they need to be eating. Um, let alone any societal factors that may play into the volume of what they're intaking. So, yeah. um, but also, I mean, I think back to when I was in college with like dining dollars and stuff, you know, like, mm-hmm. unless unless you're at a place where you have the ability to go in, swipe a card, and you can just eat what you want, you, you know, most people won't do that, though, because mm-hmm. it's probably they don't want to go select anything or they want something that's already you know, confined in a a space already that has a logo that they, uh, you know, feel comfortable with or are familiar with. Um, so I mean, it's an issue, right? Yeah. The education of it. And sometimes it's the, they don't have the resources for it. They don't have the money for it. The, The school is not able to provide that stuff. And so, um, you get into some, some like really bad cycles, with some of that stuff. So yeah, it's an issue that, that I'm facing right now is, you know, how how do we get athletes more calories? Because I know they're not getting enough.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, it's, it's not even just always a lack of education. It could also just be a lack of resources, a lack of funding, um, or, or limited resources and funding. Because from my experience, like there was an athlete dining hall, or I had, you know, a meal plan where I could go into any dining hall and just, eat however much I want it or need it or whatever the case might be. So everybody's, everybody's in a different situation. And I think that's where that education can come in is if you have the tools to understand what you need, no matter your situation, unless it's, unless, you know, maybe it's a pretty tough situation you can use that information and those tools to figure out how to be creative and still get what you need, even if maybe you don't have unlimited dining hall dollars or if you don't have an athlete dining hall.
0: Yeah, true that. Yeah. All right, take um, us through more. Yeah. Oh, go ahead.
1: Uh So I did want to mention the difference between problematic and adaptable um LEA. Um, And because I, I do think that... There, there are certain times where low energy availability exposure is mild and it is um, monitored and it is okay because we're trying to reach a specific goal. So, for example, some of the things they listed in here is like um, trying to manipulate body composition or maybe there's a scheduled period of intense training or competition. Um maybe we're trying to do something for health or performance reasons, whatever that the case might be, um, as long as it is a limited amount of time and it is monitored and mindful, then that is what is referred to as more adaptable low energy availability, um, where there may be certain performance benefits to that, but it is not a long-term Um, exposure to it and it is not impacting health um, or well-being or performance in any negative way. So there are or there could potentially be times where low energy availability for a short period of time can be helpful for specific goals and things. But um, typically, that's not what we see with low energy availability. Typically, we're seeing this problematic low energy availability where it's a long-term exposure to low energy availability, low food intake. um, And that's associated with a pretty um, negative disruption of various bodily functions. You're presenting with a lot of signs and symptoms. Maybe there's some maladaptive responses from a performance perspective. Um, And so that's typically what we're seeing. and, And this is more so what this consensus statement is referring to. And that's the type of energy availability low energy availability that we want these athletes to be avoiding
0: yeah the list was pretty extensive as far as um negative side effects
1: yeah um y- yes uh, in terms of like looking at it from more of like a zoomed out perspective we can if we want to go over those so um in the conceptual model, which was in the last consensus statement as well. But like I said, they updated it to show the arrows being a little bit more nuanced. And like, as you're as the low energy availability gets more severe, that's when we're seeing more of these negative side effects. So from just like uh, an overall umbrella perspective, These, um, I'll just read off the physiological aspects or negative side effects, and then I'll read the performance side effects as well. Um, So you've got impaired reproductive function, impaired bone health, impaired gastrointestinal function, impaired energy metabolism and regulation, impaired hematological function, urinary incontinence, impaired glucose and lipid metabolism, mental health issues, impaired neurocognitive function. Sleep disturbances, impaired cardiovascular function, reduced skeletal muscle function, impaired growth and development and reduced immunity, Um, all of which are not ideal. Um, And then from a performance perspective, we see a decreased athletic athlete availability. So maybe you're out due to injury or illness. Decreased training response, decreased recovery, decreased cognitive performance and skill, decreased motivation, decreased muscle strength, decreased endurance performance, and decreased power performance. So again, definitely not ideal. Um, And most of the time with low energy availability, we're not just seeing one of those. You're seeing a lot or all of them. And from performance perspective, that's not ideal. But from a health perspective, that can get really serious really quickly if it's not addressed.
0: Right. Yeah, I think they did a great job with uh, outlining everything here. Mm -hmm. And you're right; it's not just a hey. You have you have one of these because you have low energy availability. It's probably you have several of them, and it's not
1: good. Right. And then if you go through, like, those are just the umbrella categories. Like under all of those umbrella categories, you could have multiple signs and symptoms. Like even if we just look at um, like reproductive function, you can have low testosterone, low estrogen, low progesterone low luteinizing hormone and low follicular stimulating hormone. So you could have five under one umbrella category. And then maybe for bone health, you could have four or five. So there's a lot of signs and symptoms that are in play here. So it it's pretty, like I said, it's very nuanced. Um, and I think that's how a lot of these cases go undetected for, for a long time, because um, at least in my experience too, with trying to work with physicians um, or just work with athletes um typically the signs and the symptoms are treated and we're not necessarily looking deeper into okay but what is the cause of these signs and symptoms and in my experience I've seen a lot of especially female athletes like if they have primary amenorrhea they have low bone density um they've got low estrogen low progesterone whatever they're just put on birth control But the root cause of low energy availability was not being addressed. And so they were still having problems, but they were just now on birth control.
0: What kind of issues do they have now that they have LEA, low energy availability, and now they're on birth control?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, So does that
0: that just get masked and like almost swept under the rug and you just continue to go down in other areas?
1: Yeah. And I'm, and from that perspective, like when, um, when you look at it from, from that, it's like, okay, well, primary amenorrhea, that's not good. That means there's a problem. So that means your hormones are probably low, or maybe they got blood work and their hormones were low. So they're put on, um, synthetic hormones to get a menstrual cycle back, but just not really getting the menstrual cycle back, but they feel like they are, or maybe they think they are, um, because there's, you know, those hormones are level again. Um, but we're still having all of the other signs and symptoms. Um, and we're still not addressing the root cause of energy availability is not balanced.
0: Yeah. So- yeah. I mean, I, I could definitely see how, okay, so you've got all your hormones in balance, but, you know, maybe you're still having I'm just looking at the the chart here. Maybe you're still having sleep disturbances, right? And that's not, that's not been resolved by uh, your birth control or, or whatever uh, it may be as far as uh, signs and symptoms otherwise. Like, so. Yeah.
1: yeah. So I could give you like, let's, let's give, let's just look at a couple examples. So maybe you have the hormones, sleep disturbances and um, let's say GI issues, gastrointestinal okay. issues. So if it was, if, you go to the doctor and you're saying all these things and they're treating the symptoms, they're going to put you on birth control, probably give you a sleep pill or melatonin and put you on a probiotic and maybe, re- maybe a restrictive diet of like avoid this, 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 and this, and they're just going to make the problem worse. I've seen yeah. that in the past. Um, wow. And it yeah, it's pretty disheartening because again, they're we're treating the symptoms, but the symptoms are telling us that something is, not right we need to fix something and so we're just kind of like putting band-aids or like putting tape over the leaks and eventually if we don't fix the problem the water is just going to come out somewhere else you know what Mm -hmm. i mean so um yeah um so i think it's great that that this came out and that i think it just goes to show like even from these charts i know before we started you mentioned (laughs) there was a lot of pages and a lot of charts um but I think these charts of all of these signs and symptoms is so important because I think it just goes to show that, like, there's so much that can be affected by not looking at energy balance and not focusing on energy availability.
0: Yeah, I think one of the most clever things I saw in both of the charts that we just talked about here. Uh, and you mentioned the arrows here. I think the most clever thing is that the arrow for mental health issues goes both ways,
1: mm-hmm. and the
0: other the other ones just go outwards from low energy availability. So I mean, wow. it's so true how that can play into you not eating wow. as much because you're having those issues, and that just feeding back into the cycle mm-hmm. in itself. So really right. cool stuff there.
1: Yeah, especially I think that that is um, definitely. True, when you look at, I mean, all mental health disorders that can certainly affect um, how you take care of yourself. One of those things being nourishing your body or feeding yourself. Um, But one of the big ones is eating disorders and how that can affect, obviously, your energy intake or energy availability, and then how that can transform into all of these other potential issues.
0: Yeah, Um, it's, it's, it's a lot here. That people yeah. need to at least be informed about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out um, is on the the diagnosis um, and severity or risk categorization. So in the old um, consensus statement, uh, there were more of like a it was more of like a traffic light. There were three categories of green, yellow, red. They added a an orange section, which I think is is good because, again, there is just so much going on um, and there it, it's so nuanced that they added a moderate to high severity risk instead of low, none to low, mild and very high extreme. They put one in the middle of that yellow and red category and. Um, Which I think is great because instead of it just going from, you know, full training competition clearance, no treatment required to treatment and monitoring with continued full training competition to like potential hospitalization, no treat, uh, all treatment and no practice or competitions. There's this kind of middle ground now where it's treatment, close monitoring and some aspects of training and competition may need to be modified, um, which I think is Is good because for certain cases, there may need to be that kind of discretion up to the treatment team that, you know, maybe competitions need to be, we need to take a step back from that. Or maybe competition is okay, but maybe we need to take a step back from training and only do three days a week versus five days a week, or whatever the case might be for that specific athlete. Maybe a little bit more recovery time and training sessions is required um, to help them meet their energy. Uh, goals.
0: So for our listeners here, um, in the criteria for these different color zones, Mm -hmm. uh, green, for instance, has no primary indicators and Mm -hmm. um, and probably only one secondary one. In Mm -hmm. yellow, we're looking at one to two primary uh, and then a couple of other uh, secondary. Now, the difference in three and four or orange and red here is three primary indicators with a max of one secondary, or you can go two and two primary secondary. And then the red area is more than four or four or more of those. Now right. um, I agree with you on the, the treatment and training and competition requirement stuff. There should be a middle ground because you shouldn't just go from, full and full with green and yellow and then all of a sudden go absolutely nothing from the red, right? Like there has to be a form in the middle there. But what I want to ask you, being a professional, is what's the difference here that we're seeing between the three and four primary indicators? Mm-hmm. Like what what kind of scenarios are we seeing that it's okay to have three and still have some type of competition, but it's not okay to have four. Like what's what's the yeah. Uh, what when your what's your opinion on the the rationale between having one more primary indicator and that just being over the top?
1: Yeah, I think um, what also needs to be taken into account, and I believe they mentioned this, but the, the severity of those indicators also need to be taken into account. So, for example, if you have three um primary indicators, so if you're in that like orange space, but it's you know, like amenorrhea, uh, your hormones are like clinically like super duper low, and maybe you have a history of a lot of fractures. I would say personally, I would probably maybe not take them out of all competition, but maybe keep it very, very low, but depending on maybe how long they've had amenorrhea, their labs have been that low and they how many fractures or whatever they've had, if they've had like fracture after fracture after fracture, um, and that is indicating that they've missed a lot of training and competitions, I would say personally, it would be my professional opinion that they be taken out of competition and training for a time to focus on building basically focus on their treatment even though they don't have four of those indicators my professional opinion in that case because it's been um, maybe a year or two with all of those things happening that they take a step back and heal their body before returning back to competition um but that's just that's just me so i think it depends on the severity of those things too it depends on um the the time length of what it's how long these things have been going on. um, and I think it also depends on the frequency when when you're talking about, like from an injury perspective or an illness perspective.
0: Yeah, uh, I agree. And to reiterate to reiterate a point that you've made already, it's very nuanced, and this is definitely something that uh, professionals with experience and knowledge should be uh, should have the decision making power here. And not just you know any like off the whim, I read this article, and I think I have that, so I should not be training right now,
1: yeah, yeah, and if you do feel like that or if, or yeah like maybe an athlete reads this just because they're interested and or you know whatever, um I don't self diagnose um that mm. yeah there like there's so much that goes into it, and um you know I would. Use that as a sign to consult your physician, maybe consult um, an athletic trainer, a sports dietitian, um, maybe sports psychologist, depending on what it is uh, that is making you think like, oh, I might have this. Um, That would be a good sign to consult with them for their professional medical opinion.
0: So... I want to bring this point up, and I know I, I already mentioned this to you beforehand, but we're not all professionals, but we may be in positions to see signs and symptoms mm-hmm. of someone who's experiencing Reds. Mm-hmm. As a coach and parent, what kind of what kind of takeaways can we have from this to actually use it or maybe just be aware of things a little bit better from this consensus statement so that we might give the proper uh, instruction or guidance Mm
1: -hmm. or,
0: or, or just say something, you know, see something, say something right. Um, About this situation.
1: Um, I mean, I think all parents and coaches and support staff should be aware of what it is and what those signs and symptoms look like. Um, Again, they and, and even myself as a registered dietitian, I'm not necessarily in the position to diagnose and neither are parents or coaches. Um, so, you know, that is the job of a medical professional, a medical a physician. Um, so I think but just knowing the signs and symptoms and being able to be aware of what that looks like, all of, you know, eating behaviors, um, what maybe what an appropriate amount of energy of food looks like for particular athletes, maybe some behaviors around food, um, you know, noticing performance issues, noticing maybe some of those physiological things and using that again as a chance to have a conversation, um, to reach out to a medical professional, so maybe if a coach notices it, that would be a, a sign to speak with the parents and just bring it up in a conversation of, "Hey, I've been noticing that your daughter or son is experiencing this, 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 and this in practice. I've also noticed that they've been sick x amount of times this year." Um, you know, uh, I in my coaching experience, when those things happen, there is typically a a sign or there's typically some, some sort of, I don't want to say issue with food, but that I would say maybe that typically means that they're not eating enough for the, the, the work that they're doing. Um, or maybe if that athlete hasn't been to the doctor in a while, or hasn't gotten a physical in a while, that could be the opportunity for the, for a coach to say, Hey, I'm, I'm a little concerned about these things. Again, typically what I see is they're just not eating enough. Um, so my suggestion would be maybe to get an updated physical with the doctor, see what they think. And if it is a food problem and they just don't know how much they need to be eating, maybe look into seeing a sports dietitian. Um, obviously I would say that those conversations would be easier to have if maybe some of the psychological, um, markers and signs and symptoms are not there. If it's more leaning towards, if you notice uh, more, maybe like disordered eating or eating disorder behavior around food, that conversation needs to be a little bit more delicate, um, which we do have a guide in connect for having some of those conversations for coaches, um, with parents or, or athletes. So, that, that would need to be handled a little bit more delicately. But like I said, I think it's just a good thing to be aware of and it would just help bring to light some of these issues. And I don't want to say normalize them more because I don't think it should be normal that I'm, we're under eating, but just bring more awareness to it so that we can have more of these conversations and get these athletes the education that they need.
0: Yeah, I agree. From a coach's standpoint, you know your players. You know what they act like and how their performance is. I, I think you hit on it. If you're seeing decreases in performance, they're being injured like a lot more recently than than normal. Like they're they're sick all the time. You know they've they've missed practice. You know for for different reasons. I mean, even if it's not nutrition related, you should definitely check yeah. in, see, hey, what's up? But but also to keep in mind these types of things as well and not be, um, as we mentioned earlier, trying to treat symptoms and, and finding like, uh, the causes, the root cause of everything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's some good stuff. So th- thanks for answering that question.
1: Yeah. And there, there might be some coaches that have, you know, a, a good enough relationship with their athletes, especially if they're older, like more high school, college age, like if they notice these, issues in performance they can talk to that athlete and again just say hey i've noticed this this and this are you okay how's school going how is your nutrition like they can ask those more general questions and if they have that you know relationship where they can be a little bit more open and then athlete feels comfortable saying hey you know what i just haven't really been hungry lately so i haven't really been eating then that can, again, lead to this conversation of, okay, well, you know, I, I can totally understand that. Maybe you're stressed. It's midterm season, but you know, practice is ramping up. We're in the middle of our season and I don't want you to get injured. So, you know, maybe reaching out to a dietitian or whomever would be helpful for you so that they can help you and you don't have to worry about it. So you don't keep having all these issues in practice. Um, so that could be an option too. But I do just think it's important for, for them to be aware of it. Of ed- anybody that is involved with athletes, parents, coaches, um, strength and conditioning coaches, physical therapists, athletic trainers, dietitians, physicians. I think everybody needs to be aware of what these symptoms are pointing to.
0: Yeah, good, that's a good point. Good points. Um, we are definitely going to post this article. Um in the description of the podcast, so it would be available to you um, at the click. Um, so it'll it'll be there for you to go and read yourself because it's going to be important for. Yeah, yeah, we kind of covered it all. But if if there's anything you want to look at in particular, you can go read the article mm-hmm. and get all the specifics.
1: Yeah, and we can we can post our emails too if people have questions because I know scientific articles are not always the most digestible. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And, and for everyone listening, Claire's going to be the best one to reach out to about this article and anything nutrition related. I'm not <laughs> I the expert you know. there. Yeah. I am not the expert there. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. Any, any other questions, Zach? Burning questions. Uh,
0: in a, in a perfect world, this, this has been my last question here. Maybe we'll close with this in a perfect world um, where you could, have influence upon like maybe the the community or um, an organization or something to improve, make improvements for energy availability. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know what that looks like. What would it be? Like how, how would you improve these scenarios and like try to mitigate them through the use of larger organizations and not just uh, individual families?
1: Mm hmm. Yeah. So I think working at a large university that had a lot of resources, uh, we were definitely, I don't want to say spoiled, but we were definitely lucky to have all of those resources in our disposal. So I would say in an ideal world, we would have all of that. Like organizations would have access to a dietitian, whether they're on staff, whether they're a contractor, a consultant, Um, I think every either school or club organization should have some sort of nutrition professional, hopefully a registered dietitian come in and speak to their parents and athletes once a year. Um, I think that if schools or clubs or organizations have the funds to have a training table, that would be great. So if they have the ability to provide meals for their athletes and show them like this is what you should be eating and this is like about how much you probably need after a hard practice. I think that could be helpful as well. Um, Or have those athletes take the education they learned from that dietitian and use that to construct adequate plates after from the training table. Um, Obviously, I know that not everybody has access to that. So in, you know, in maybe a smaller scale, providing pre and post-workout fuel. So whether that's bananas and chocolate milk, Um, I think that would be a great start just to, again, have something and show that it is important to us that you are fueling your body for the exercise that we are providing to you or we are putting you through. Um, And this is an important part of it because, I mean, coaches are providing the training. You have athletic trainers that are providing the recovery. Um, But what are we doing for the nutrition part to show that this is also an important piece Of what you're doing. You know, strength and conditioning coaches, they give you the programming and the the coaching for your strength. So I think in an ideal world, there would be some piece of the nutrition puzzle being provided to show that these clubs and schools and organizations find that important. Aces Nation is a team of former college athletes and coaches on a mission to improve the sports culture experience and change today's expectations. We do this by helping every player maximize their athletic potential with professional programs to improve strength, speed, nutrition, and mental toughness, and by using sports to create a direct pathway to college with a guaranteed college scholarship program for all student-athletes. Visit acesnation.org to learn more and schedule a demo. Let's go!
0: Yeah, I, I think coaches, if they ever question whether or not your players are eating enough, that would tell you right there that they're not eating enough. Like, mm-hmm. if you ever have a thought, hmm, I wonder if my players are, you know, getting enough fuel. Yeah, they're probably not if you have to think about that. Yeah. Uh, but just in a side note, while you were talking about that, I was thinking, you know what? I really am glad that people have free lunch. Yeah. You know, like free lunch is a great thing for people who, who need to be a part of that program.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. It's
0: fantastic. Yeah. Gotta, got to mitigate, you know, you got to chip in where you can society. So mm-hmm. that's great. Yeah, Claire, thank you for bringing this information to us and uh, giving us the rundown of this. Um, I I think it's an important topic. Man, when we had that first podcast about energy availability and balance, I thought it was one of the best we did as far as information that people just aren't really considering. So uh, Mm -hmm. I think it's important that we go over this a little bit more uh, just to give people more information about a topic that is overlooked, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, yeah. signs signs, and symptoms, treating different things than, than really getting down to the base of it here and, and understanding, uh, as we mentioned in the last podcast, of like what your body is actually using and burning and what you need to do to replace all of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is a rampant problem in sports, and I think it's just a problem. I think in the general population as well, I think both sides of the spectrum are a problem, but um, specifically in sports, it it is such an issue. And so whatever education we can put out there to bring a little bit more light to it and to hopefully give some people, whether they're athletes, parents, coaches, something to think about and something to, again, potentially just bring more awareness and education to their people that may be struggling with it, may not be struggling with it. But at the end of the day, if they're not and you give them the information regardless, it's not going to hurt them. So, um, yeah, I I just it's so important that I, I just find it great that we're doing more research on it. And while there is a lot more research that needs to be done, um, particularly just in athletes in general, but in male athletes and maybe younger athletes in, in everybody, um, I do think it's great that every couple of years, the IOC is updating these consensus statements to just bring more information to us as practitioners, but also the public to just be more aware.
0: Most definitely. So we will post uh, the link for this article. Also, we will post Claire's email so you can reach out to her with any questions you might have if you want to set up a conversation with her. Um, And as Claire mentioned, we have these resources available for coaches uh, in our Connect app. So if you're interested in learning more about that as well, uh, we've got training and nutritional information in that app for you, for your team. So uh, reach out with the email and we will get you, you know, set up with a conversation just to see how we could help you out.
1: Yeah. Thanks for coming to my Reds talk. (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, that's awesome. That is great. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We will catch you on the next one.
1: See ya.